let's pray together. I know there's many ways to pray. And uh, today I want to encourage you to, just on your seat, right, um, let's just engage with the Holy Spirit right on our seat. Let me just bow your heads with me. Can I encourage you to just invite the Holy Spirit to come? It's a simple, come Holy Spirit. Just come, Lord. We invite you here. You are here. Make us aware of your presence. Make us aware of your touch. These stories are all motivated by you, Holy Spirit. All, every praise report, you're behind the scenes. And before we get into the word, we want you to take center stage in our hearts, in our minds. You tell us to cast all our cares upon you. So we give everything and everyone to you, Lord. Take a moment. Is there anything you need to give to the Lord right now? Anyone, any situation? Just, just do it now. Holy Spirit, I want to lift up every unspoken in this room to you. You know every heart. You know every situation. You know every circumstance, every challenge. And we pray your will over each one. You know what's going on in our homes. In our marriages, in our parenting, our work, in our minds. Come, Holy Spirit. Come upon us. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Father, we want more of you. Fill us with more of you. Would you pray that, Lord? I want more of you. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with more of you, Jesus. Fill me with more of you, Lord. You said that rivers of living water would flow from within those who believe in you. I pray right now, let, let the river of life flow in us, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds. Come, Holy Spirit.
told us that there would be wars and rumors of wars. So we lift up those in the midst of the conflicts right now in the world, in Israel, in Gaza, in Ukraine, other parts of the world. We pray right now, Holy Spirit. Be active in those regions, in those countries, in those people. Your desire is to rescue, is to save. God, I'm praying for miracles. I'm praying for breakthrough. I'm praying for those hostages to come back home safe. Jesus. Praying for those babies. Give them life. Jesus. Breathe over that region, Lord, we pray. We lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world right now. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Ease their burden today, Lord. Father, tonight we pray deepen our understanding of your word. We come with humble hearts, teachable spirits. Just want to learn your word. Allow your word to shape us, to mold us, and to equip us, to empower us, to give us hope beyond this life. Your word says that your perfect love casts out all fear. We don't, live, we don't have to live in fear. We live in hope. Because you are the hope of the world. No matter what's happening in the world, you are in control. So we submit our lives to you, Lord. And we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Speak, for we're listening. Would you pray that, Lord, speak? I'm, I'm listening. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us tonight, we pray, through your word. May we leave this place encouraged by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen. Amen. I want to um, encourage you to go to Matthew 25. Um, I've been enjoying these classes. It's a, it's a joy to teach the Bible to you. And I told you from the beginning that I approach these topics with a lot of humility because um, we're limited in our understanding. We need the Holy Spirit to shed light on these things. But I feel very hopeful tonight, and I hope you do too by the time we, we're done, because Jesus gave us these things in advance to prepare us so we're not in the dark and that we, know, we don't approach it as someone who doesn't know what's coming. So Matthew 25 is one of the parables that Jesus loves to teach in parables, which is stories with hidden meanings and deeper meanings, spiritual meanings. And this one is called the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And it's coming out of, remember, Matthew 24, when he gave us some of the birth pains of what's to come. And then he gives you the story. Again, no slides, because I want us to really work our Bibles um, I'm actually kind of enjoying that. I might keep that for a little bit, you know. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 1, says this. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day O hour of my return. That is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? So again, Jesus loves to teach in parables. Stories with deeper meaning. Especially in that context, which is always important. I say this every time. That if you're going to understand the Bible, you've got to go back to the original context before you, you draw parallels to what's happening today. But remember, we're coming out of Matthew 24, where he gave you all of these birth pains about the future. 
And he said that it would be like in the days of Noah, right? He said in the days of Noah, people were kind of hanging out, eating, drinking, having a good time. And the flood came and they were swept away. And only Noah and his family were saved. And Jesus was like, hey, my coming would be very similar to that. That there's going to be this, this, this time where uh, people are going to be caught off guard because they didn't pay attention to the warnings. And remember, Noah was warning the people for many, many years. The Bible says roughly 100 years or so. He was trying to prepare the people for what was to come, and people didn't take him serious. And so the bottom line is this. The second coming of Jesus uh, is imminent, and we just don't know when. We just know this, that the Bible is filled with analogies of, of heaven and earth coming together as one. And, we, and the Bible calls that the, the marriage of the two realms. A lot of times we, we think of heaven wrong because we think, you know, heaven is somewhere else. No, it's a realm, right? And once in a while we touch the two, right? And you heard me say this, we got to learn to be amphibians because we live between two realms. This one in the spiritual realm. And the Bible says that one day the two will become one. It's, it's a spiritual wedding. And the Bible is filled with analogies of how God the Father is the bridegroom and his people, the church, is the bride. And here Jesus says, let me give you an illustration of these ten brides. To give you some reference point, Revelation echoes a lot of what Jesus teaches. Actually, the entire Bible kind of just parallels each other. They echo each other. And I want to give you another reference point. Again, no slides today, so you got to look it up. Go to Revelations 21. Um, it's how basically the, the book ends is with a wedding, is with a feast at the end. Revelations 21, right? Look at verses 1 through 4. It gives you the same concept, right? It says this in Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Verse 5, and the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. History is going somewhere, and God is making all things new again. So there's hope in this moment. My prayer is for us to not be alarmed by just the birth pains. Because remember, what is the point of a birth pain? It's to birth something new. Right? And when the baby is born, you forget all the pain. You forget all the troubles because you're celebrating this new creation. And the Bible says that the, 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 the creation of God, the old and the new, are coming as one. Heaven and earth are going to become one. Now, 
here's where it gets interesting. Jesus is not going to take his church away. Jesus is coming here. A lot of people miss that, that this is where the new heaven and new earth is going to be. Right? It's interesting because there's many approaches to you know, the, these interpretations of the end times. But based on the story of Noah, he goes on to say, he says, hey, two will be on the field. One will be, will, will be taken, the other one left. Think about it, right? The, the perspective he's giving you is Noah's story. If, if Noah's story is how this whole thing is going to end, is that he's saying those who stay here, <laughs> not those who go somewhere. There's this weird interpretation that, you know, uh, some people are going to be left behind. It's like, no, I want to be left behind. <laughs> I want to be where Jesus is, okay? I want to be where he's going to be, which is here. He's coming back to rule here on this earth. Are you tracking with me? So this story is loaded with, with symbolism. It's loaded with, with applications. And, and, and if you're ready, I want to give you some things here to, to, to pay attention to. It starts with giving you this concept of ten bridesmaids. And numbers in the Hebrew tradition matters. So the number ten was actually a typical wedding party in that tradition. Like usually they'll have a- around ten people in a, in a wedding party. And it's interesting, pay attention, he says five were what? Wise and five were foolish. That's important. He didn't say five were good and five were bad. Because a lot of times we interpret the things from this black and white thing, like some people are good, some people are bad. No, the reality is we all fall short. Some are wise, some are dumb. So no one is better than the other. Here is making the point, it's about prudence. It's about being aware. It's about being prepared. It's about being ready. We have to be careful to not make the gospel about, you know, bad people and good people. According to the gospel, we're all bad. Right? We all fall short. So he says five were wise and five were foolish. Are you tracking? Right? And it tells you another critical thing here. It says there was a delay in the wedding. Remember, Peter gave us a hint of that delay. He says God continues to delay today waiting and giving room and patience for more people to come into the fold. So God is so faithful, he's so good, he's so patient that he delays the day because he wants more and more people to come to the saving knowledge of his son Jesus Christ. In the Hebrew tradition, there's three key components to a wedding. There's three key things in, a, in, the, in the Jewish tradition. Number one is the engagement. The first thing is the engagement. The engagement is basically the, the formal agreement made by the fathers, which as a father now, I'm all about arranged marriages. I'll say bring them back. I told my kids this. I got three boys and two daughters. I told the boys, you're on your own, but the girls, I need to arrange it. Okay? I told the dudes, like, go figure it out for yourselves. But my two girls, I want to arrange it in my basement I, want, I, want, I have questions. <laughs> so I'm all about arranged marriages. Uh, interesting enough, some cultures in the world, they're still doing that. Right? They're still, like I went to school with someone who told me that they, they're from, uh, this young lady that I went to school with from India, she was like, back home, there's an arranged marriage waiting for me, and I don't want to go home. 
So that's still happening in some cultures. And as a father of two girls, I'm all for it. Okay, talk to me if you have, you know, potential. <laughs> the second part of, 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 a, of a wedding is, is what the, what's called the betrothal, right? The, this is the ceremony where there's mutual promises made. So they come to an agreement, the two families, and then they have a ceremony saying, we're in, we're going to do this, right? And then third is the actual marriage. Now, here's where, here's where it gets interesting. The actual marriage usually would take place once they agree about a year from the day of that agreement that we're going to get married, I need to get some things in place, and then we're going to get married. Let me give you a great reference to this that a lot of people miss because we don't have the Jewish understanding. In John chapter 14, when Jesus tells his disciples, he says, don't worry, don't be afraid, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He's giving them a marriage symbolism. Hey, I'm going to go prepare a place. Why? In that culture, if you're, the, if you're the groom, you go to your father's house, you build an addition. And what does he say? In my father's house is what? There's many rooms. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. When it's ready, I'll come and get you. He's talking about this marriage we just read about. Right? So Jesus is using this marriage illustration to say, hey, that's, that's the goal. It's going to be one one day, right? But first, I got to go get things in, in order. But be ready because here's the thing. In that tradition, they won't really tell you what the day is. They'll say, just be ready for it. Because as soon as I'm done, I'm coming. And then there will be a procession. The groom would walk from his house with his party all the way to the bride's house, to have now that family come and meet them. And then he, at the end of the ceremony, he would take the bride back home to where he's at. This is important because the Bible is full of these illustrations that are sometimes we miss because we don't understand the context of it. So when you hear things like, hey, we're going to get caught up with the Lord in the air, it's not talking about the air somewhere. It's talking about like this, this coming together of these two parties. Okay? Again, another interpretation of this is like the, the, the word rapture. It's really not in the Bible. It's an interpretation that in a moment, in a blink of an eye, this is going to happen. This, this, this connecting point is going to take place, and we don't know when that's going to happen. But it really is a terminology that Jewish believer would understand that, oh, he's talking about the procession. So in those days, if a king was coming into your town, you would send a party to go greet the king outside of the city, and then they will come together into the city. They don't go somewhere else. They come back here. The action is here. That's what I'm trying to make the point. The action is here. Jesus is coming back here. We're not going somewhere unless you die before he comes back. When you die before he comes back, then you come with him, but you're coming here. Are you tracking? So he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a marriage analogy. Okay? When the bridegroom came, the bridesmaid would meet the bridegroom with lamps, okay, because it usually would happen at night. And we're talking first century, no, no electricity. Everything is pitch black. Everything is dark. So lighting is critical. Lighting is important. And you know, if you read your Bible, you know that light and darkness is always a play because it's talking about more than just physical light. It's talking about spiritual. So lamps has a symbolism that we need to pay attention to. 
because it's pointing to something deeper than just physical lights. Are you tracking with me? Throughout the Old Testament, I want to give you one example so you can look this up. In Isaiah 54, verse 5, it tells you your creator will be your husband. So throughout the Old Testament, you see God the Father being illustrated as the husband to his people. First to Israel, and then to the spiritual Israel, which is the church. Now, because the delay of the bridegroom happens, it tells you here that the entire wedding party was drowsy and sleepy. That's a very important part of this. Drowsy and sleepy. I hate to say this, but that's the state of the church right now. A lot of people are asleep. I was in Brockton this week, and I was telling our church in Brockton that, you know what scares me the most about what's happening in the world right now? The world's on fire, and we're on TikTok. <laughs> like, there's a lot happening, and people are clueless because we're asleep. See, when the Bible says drowsy and sleepy, it's not just talking about physical sleep. It's talking about spiritual sleep. It's talking about, like, not being aware of what's really going on. You'd be amazed how many, uh, we were talking about the, the, the Bible club that we have in New Bedford High, and Dre helps over there. He was saying, you ask these kids what's happening in the world, they have no idea. Which, again, blows my mind about our education system. It's like, what are we teaching? <laughs> like, the kids don't know what's actually going on in the world. No wonder we have college students going to protest the wrong things. Clueless. Right? Drowsy and sleep is what, to be honest with you, as a, as, a, as a pastor concerns me the most. Look at, look at again, I, if you've been around me, you know I'm not into guilt trips. But, like, we have a Bible study tonight. A lot of people are at home. Doing what? Absolutely nothing. Right? And, and so we have bought into this complacency, which scares me because Jesus says, like in the days of Noah, we're just kind of hanging out, we're just shooting the breeze, we're just on TikTok, we're just doing our thing, not realizing we might be missing out on what's really going on. The Bible says to be alert and sober-minded, meaning like you got to be aware of what's really happening, right? The world talks about being woke. The Bible says not be awake, <laughs> Be awake. Be, be in the know of what's really happening. And he gives you this detail. He says, he says, the five foolish ones did not have enough oil. Now, that's very important because we're going somewhere here. They didn't have enough oil. The wise one, what did they do? They had extra supply of oil. If you, if you don't think about that time period, it's olive oil that would help you, you know, light the lamp and keep it lit. The real way to be lit, okay? <laughs> then he gives you one of the details. He says at the midnight hour, if you take your notes, anytime you see the word the midnight hour in the Bible, it's talking about an unexpected hour. Okay. An unexpected time. Let me give you one application here. It's in the moments of crisis that you know who's ready and who's not ready. You don't get ready in the crisis. You are ready because you prepared yourself for the crisis. 
Sometimes we have to do tedious things like we need to do like preparations for if there's, an, if there's a fire, we need to know where to go, right? If there's a, I hate to say it, an active shooter, you need to know where to go. Like you have to prepare in advance for these things because once those things hit and the emotions are high, you see who's really ready. Again, in Brockton this weekend, I was telling them how like, if, if I have a cup of water in my hand and you bump into me, what's going to spill out? Water. Question is, when you get bumped, what comes out of you? You don't know what you're made of until someone bumps into you. Like tonight, some of y'all will be here, you, you're hearing this, you, you, you're going to go home, someone cut you off, what's going to come out of you? I hope, I hope, I hope it's the Holy Spirit in you says, God bless you. Could have been worse. Or are you going to bless them with your hand in other ways? Because you don't know what you're made up until someone rubs against you. And here's the thing. What concerns me about where we are right now is, man, if things keep getting worse, what's really going to happen to us? Are we ready for this? Like 2020, we already saw with COVID that a lot of people were not ready for any type of tribulation. It was a big shakeup that took place. It shook up a lot of people's faith because why? Because crises reveal what's really in you. You don't know what's in you until you are in a crisis. You don't know if you believe in God until God puts you in a crisis. And a lot of times we think it's the devil. No, God will put you in a crisis. Because it's only through testing that you know what is in you. The old cliche, you have to go through a test to have a testimony. So this, my friends, is Jesus trying his best to not scare us, to alert us about the reality of what's to come. Because Christ is divide those who are ready from those who are not ready. That's what he does. And this is where you realize, my friends, and, and again, as a pastor, it alarms me because you, this is when you realize that people are really in this for God or in this just for what God can do for them. Big difference. Some people just want God's hand. They don't want God's heart. They just want God to bless them. And you hear people say that, oh, I pray nothing happens. Like, so wait, we think God is a Santa Claus? A vending machine? Or do you have a relationship with him? Because a marriage is come hell or high water. We're in this together. It's a marriage. It's a marriage. Oil is a very important thing in the Bible. Because oil, if you're taking notes, is a symbol of anointing. It's another word for the Holy Spirit. It's how the Holy Spirit is symbolized throughout the Old Testament. When they would go anoint the king, they would anoint him with oil, symbolizing the presence of God over them. Oil is very, like, nowadays, like, people are making a killing out of these little oils. <laughs> Scented oils. You know, some are even lying oils from Israel. <laughs> Call now, get your healing, you know. Those guys, the weird ones. <laughs> I'm going to give you some references. Zechariah 4.6. You can look it up when you go home. Zechariah 4.6 basically says this. He says, the time of crisis, you don't overcome it not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Spirit. And he gives you a reference point about oil there. Okay? Without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to make it. Matter of fact, it's impossible to be a believer without the Holy Spirit. You could be a nice person, which we're seeing, right? We're seeing people who are nice people, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. 
Without the Holy Spirit, no one can make it. Because it's the Holy Spirit that reveals God, first of all. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live the God life that you're called to live. Without the Holy Spirit, you just cannot make it. Now, here's something very interesting in that culture. Because, because these weddings would be celebrated for days. And, and so once you are invited, the, the oil and the lamp was actually almost like part of your invitation to know you're part of the wedding. Because if you don't have one, they consider you, now catch this, this is this going to blow your mind, a wedding crasher. You don't want to be a wedding crasher when it comes to God's marriage. You want to know you're invited. Now, here's the thing. He says, many are chosen, but not everybody heeds the call. Many are called, few are chosen. Not because God doesn't want to, because people are not in tune. So these five, so important, again, foolish bridesmaid. Foolish, not good or bad, foolish. There's a lot of foolishness going on in our world right now because people have lost their mind. <laughs> Stuff that you thought was common sense. Isn't it crazy? I, I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for Hashton Kutcher to show up and be like, y'all being punked. <laughs> like, so what you know, let, let's talk about this from a natural standpoint. Not, forget the spirit, but man, isn't it foolish to not know that there's a male and a female? Like, <laughs> how is that even a question anymore? Yeah. Like, I'm telling you, this stuff is, this is fifth grade biology. But we're having discussions at the highest level of society that we don't know who is a woman. Who is a man. It blew my mind when the Supreme Court judge was asked, what is a woman? And she's a woman. She couldn't answer the question. You don't want foolish. This is foolishness on a whole nother level. And the Bible says the world will look at preaching of the gospel and call it foolish. So go figure. So this is a very powerful thing that Jesus is trying to convey here. Now, let me give you some, 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 some deeper understanding of, of, of oil here. And how it represents the Holy Spirit. Theologian David Guzik does a great job of, of giving us seven understanding of, of, of oil in scriptures. He says, number one, it represents the Holy Spirit because oil lubricates. He says, where there's, where there's oil, there's less friction and less wear and tear because oil makes things smooth. It's one of the first things the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. So right now, right, you could, you could, you could approach what's happening in the world, lose your mind, or you can have a smooth process about it because you know it's in control. And only that happens if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit every day. Because it's easy to be afraid. It's easy. I think the reason why some people don't come tonight is because they, they rather bury their heads in the sand than to actually confront it. I don't know about you. It's better to confront things head on and to pretend they're not there. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to confront these things. Because Jesus said what? He said he's going to come to reveal things to you. And to prepare you for what's to come. He even tells you, he says, hey, if it comes on to persecution, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. It will embolden you to do the right things. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, he heals. You know, olive oil is used in medicinal treatment. Because the Holy Spirit does what? It does healing. It brings healing and restoration. 
Right now, a big issue in our society is what? Mental health, right? We talk about that all the time. Mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Comes to bring healing to your mind. He comes to give you peace. He comes to give you focus. He comes to clear the fog. It comes to help you not, listen, don't buy into subscriptions over your mind that you shouldn't receive. You, I was telling our young people that I'm like, don't say things like my anxiety. Everybody gets anxiety. Don't accept it as a thing, a subscription. Um, my anxiety, my depression, my suicide. It's like, no, no, rebuke that. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live in healing. Number three, it's, it's light, right? It, 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 it leads the way. The Bible says that his word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. See, God may not give you the whole thing, but it's like I'll give you enough for, to see in front of you. That's what a lamp does. It lights the way, right? If I'm in this thing every day, I'm, I'm, my way is being lit every day for me to walk in righteousness, to walk in peace. That's why I feel, I'm telling you, <laughs> I feel extremely hopeful today. That the more I'm reading this stuff, the more I'm like, my, see, that's the thing you have to understand. It's the more you feed your inner man, the more strength, the more light. You know, Jesus says your eyes are the windows of your soul, right? He says if your eyes are dark, then your whole soul will be dark. In other words, what are you feeding yourself, right? So think about it. If all day long I'm on TikTok all day long, this is what I'm doing. I'm just feeding myself all this crap, all this nonsense, I can say crap. My wife's not here tonight. <laughs> right? So I need to light my soul. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Comes to light my soul. Number four, oil warms. It's fuel for flame. It brings warmth and comfort. Right? It's a cold world out there. But the Holy Spirit, here's the thing. Here's my concern. When I started doing these classes, my prayer was, God, I hope, I don't want to add to fear, into noise, into sensationalism. I don't want to do that. That's not my style. And only the Holy Spirit can help you understand that we don't have to live in fear because here's what could happen. What could happen is we could become cold towards the world. And that's not the, God's will. God's will is for you to bring this into the world. If all we do is come together and sing kumbaya together and the world's going to hell, we're not doing God's work. So we need to be able to bring the warmth out. We need to bring the compassion. We need to bring the grace. We need to bring the understanding, the patience, because you can't fight fire with fire. You got to bring something different to the table. And that's my concern. When I go on YouTube and I hear some of these, you know, preachers and prophets, it's all gloom and doom, but it's like, yo, like, we are God's people. We got to bring the hope. Who's going to bring the hope to New Bedford High and Vogue Tech? Who's going to bring the hope to the place of your work if it's not you that's carrying the Holy Spirit with you? So, listen, this is not an easy thing, but you got to be able to have thick skin but soft heart. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit empowers you to do. Jesus says, I'm sending you all a sheep among wolves. Be harmless as a dove but wise as a serpent. That takes discernment. Because there are times you need to be wise as a serpent. And what do we do sometimes? We mix them up. We are poisonous as a snake. <laughs> so we have to be 
in tune with the Holy Spirit to know how to go about this world without becoming affected because we can become affected with unhealthy fears and then we bring that and that's not God's will. Are you tracking with me? Five, it invigorates, right? We use oils for massages, right? Because it invigorates, it, it, it replenishes the body. So the Holy Spirit comes to invigorate you for his service. You can't be tense. You can't be the one always angry and frustrated and pent up and constipated. <laughs> okay? We need you to relax. Like, I think in the midst of a crisis, those who are relaxed will find a solution, will find a way. That's why, for me, the most important thing a believer can do every day is spend time with the Holy Spirit so he can empower you, equip you to go about your day and be a blessing. Can you say amen? amen. Number four, it, it adores like a perfume, right? It, it's pleasant to be around someone with the Holy Spirit. Right? Someone just told me, I smell good. I was like, praise the Lord. It's been a long day. I thought <laughs> wouldn't last. <laughs> but what does the Bible say? The Bible says we're supposed to be a sweet aroma unto God. And that those who rub shoulders with us can hopefully walk away going, there's something different about that guy or that girl. See, people come to church, they, don't, they may not understand everything about church, but people know that there's something different about you. Worse is when you go to church and people don't, don't, can't tell the difference. Think about that. That's worse. Uh, imagine you go to church, no one knows the difference between you and someone who doesn't. That's a problem. That means the Holy Spirit is not really rubbing off and having that sweet smell. Right? There's some Christians you're like, you need some Holy Spirit in you. Yeah, you ever meet a grumpy Christian? <laughs> I, hope, I hope not in this church. You know, never meet a grumpy usher at the door? Sit down. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lastly, the Holy Spirit polishes like oil. It's used to polish, right? It wipes away a grime. <laughs> and it smooths our rough edges. Let's be real. We all have rough edges. Oh, y'all ain't going to be honest in this church. <laughs> we all have stuff that God is still working on. You ever had a moment when you're like, man, all these years, I'm still like, can, I, can, we, can we testify in this church? Like, man, after all these years, I thought I'd be further along. I was telling the Brockton church, I was like, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> like, I'm a man of God. I'm doing ministry. Then I get married, I'm exposed. Because what does marriage do? It exposes you. Now, what do you do with that? Pretend or do you own it? The Holy Spirit empowers you to own your stuff, right? And then work on your stuff. Because, because here's the thing. It's always easier to point the finger at the other person. The blame game is as old as Adam and Eve. But here's the thing. What I, I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, you still got to live with yourself. I always tell people, when you're done blaming everybody else, you're still there. 
peekaboo. Right? The Holy Spirit comes to polish his us. So this parable is powerful because Jesus is saying, don't get left out because you didn't have enough oil in you. That's what he's saying. He says, don't get missed out, not because you were good or bad, but because you were foolish. You didn't take care of your soul. What do we say always in this church? My soul is my responsibility. You know, in the Old Testament, God made an agreement with the people. He said, fire will be the symbol of my presence among you. So here's what I want you to do. He says, you bring the wood, I'll bring the fire. You bring the wood, I'll bring the fire. So if you want your oil to keep burning, you bring the wood. I'll bring the fire. That's my concern. We're not bringing the wood. Right? We're just kind of showing up, whatever, not realizing, no, we might be foolish if we're not paying attention to the present time. We've been in Romans for like 10 years. Well, what does Romans say? Look it up, Romans 8, 9. What does it say? Romans 8, 9 says, it's by the Spirit. But he says, if the Spirit is in you. That's important, if the Spirit is in you. We need to make sure the Holy Spirit didn't leave us. You know, the saddest Bible verse I've ever read, the, I've read the entire Bible, the saddest Bible verse I've ever read was when Samson thought God was still with him, he got up, and the Bible says the Spirit had left him, he didn't even know. That's the saddest Bible verse I've ever read. To think, think about it. Here's someone who thought he's still under, operating under the power of God and the power of God had left him. Do you understand what the analogy is? They were all part of the bridal party, but some of them were foolish. In other words, you could be in church but not be in the spirit. He wasn't, see, majority of, see, people don't understand this. Majority of what Jesus talks about is talking about his people, not the world. He says judgment starts in the house. Sometimes we're over here accusing the world, saying all kinds of stuff, but it's like, no, I'm talking about us, family. This is family business. It's a family affair. We need to take care of business. Right? So I leave you with this. Ephesians 5.18, right? This is the last scripture tonight. Ephesians 5.18, right? Look it up. I think it's an important verse for believers to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says, 518. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be filled with something, let it be the Holy Spirit. Be sober-minded. And he tells you how to do that. If you keep reading, he says, look, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. In other words, can I tell you something, guys? We need to be more spiritual. We're way too, the church has become way too carnal. We need to be more spiritual, man. Like, our music should be glorifying God. Our conversation should be glorifying God. Our entertainment should be glorifying God. Everything should be pointing to God in the believer's life. The reason why people are afraid of Jesus' return is because they don't have a relationship with him. I don't know about you, man. We should be excited that Jesus is coming back. That's a good thing. That Jesus is coming. Matter of fact, when you read the Bible, like the fact that Jesus is coming back as a judge is, is supposed to be a good thing. 
The reason why it's supposed to be a good thing is, is that we live in a world full of rebellion, full of injustice, full of evil, full of greed, and there is a, this just God that can make things right. Wouldn't you want to live in a place that is just? Wouldn't you want to live in a place that, that does the right things? That's why in the Bible, for them, it was like, man, this is good news. He's coming to make things right. Because what is judgment? To put things right. We were created in the image of God. There's a part of you who longs for justice. When you're wrong, you want someone to put things right. When you see someone get wronged, something in you says, that's not right. So God's like, man, I, I need to make this world right again. So a lot of people look at it just from a negative standpoint. It's, a, it's actually a positive thing to make things right. Think about this, right? The reason why Jesus is the only one qualified to make things right is that he's not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He's a just God. He's the only one that can make things right. First of all, he took the punishment of the world upon his shoulders. The cross, it's Jesus Christ taking the punishment of the world, saying, I'll take it. I'll take it. So that no one has an excuse. Look, when you look at, G, when you look at a cross, no one has an excuse. Romans told us that. No one has an excuse for not believing in a God who takes punishment that you deserve upon himself. That's why he's a just God. He's only qualified to judge a worldly system that is corrupt. And people who are corrupt. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Why? Because he's the only one that can make things right. See, one day, death, decay will be overcome, and God will be all in all. Why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we crave for that? To see the world be made right again. See, the beautiful thing about Christianity is it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, it's going somewhere. Every story that we love has re a redemptive curve on it. Why is it that things like Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter are so famous? It's because of this redemptive narrative. It's biblical. See, a lot of times people read the book of Revelation like, it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, don't you like that movie? What do you think that movie is doing? It's trying to point you to the bigger reality. There's a redemptive narrative in the world. Like the whole thing is bent for justice. That's why we love when the hero overcomes. Right? Why? Because God put that in us. To be people of justice, to be people of hope. That at the end, the end game is good. If you are a Marvel fan. Like the end game is that Jesus will make things right. So in the meantime, right, here's the struggle. In the meantime is this. We can, this is a tough one to teach, but I'm going to end here. And I pray the Holy Spirit helps you understand this. In the meantime, it's about we can be properly humble and properly confident because we live in between. We live in between his ascension and his return. But we can have both. Like, the suffering is real, but we can have confidence that it's going somewhere. That's, that's the reality. When people say, where is God? Same, where he, same place he was when he allowed his son to die on the cross. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's had a plan all along. He's taken this thing somewhere. And the key is, do you have enough oil in you to make it home? 
So I told you, my heart desire as your pastor is to just help us get home because two realities are going to happen. I'm either going to die or he's coming back. I want to be ready for both. And that's not a fearful thing. That's a very hopeful thing that, man, I'm in him. He's making all things right. And this world, heaven and earth, will have a marriage. And it's, it's going to be all good. That the last page says, the best is yet to come. That's why we can live in hope. We don't have to bury our heads in the sand, pretend it's not happening. No, we got to get oil on our lamps and keep burning bright in an evil and perverted generation. He says, you should shine like stars. Don't become part of the problem by getting caught up on the world and stuff. No, like, stay the course. Stay the course. You're getting married. Okay? Like, listen, he says, don't get tangled up in civilian affairs. You have a job to do. You have work to do. Like, you, you have been called for. This ring, it's a daily reminder. I'm married. I'm married. And I'm happily married. Hey, I, I told, again, the church on Sunday, I was like, listen, when you're happily married, you have nothing to hide. Hey, my wife can have this anytime. Like, if someone grabs your phone and you freak out, it's like, man, what the heck's wrong with you? Yeah. What are you hiding? What are you hiding? Like, live in the light. That's the beauty of this thing. Like, when you live in the light, you have nothing to worry about. Hey, because unhealthy fear is just what? It's, it's false evidence appearing real. You don't have to worry about like he says, I got this. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, it's going to be all good. So don't be foolish. Be wise. Be wise. Keep your lamp burning. Church, can you say amen? Come on, stand with me. Let's pray tonight. There's a lot of hope to be had. So Holy Spirit, I pray tonight that you fill your people, Lord. Let there be power. Let there be anointing, Lord. Let there be the, the, the amazing presence of your spirit, Lord, that is undeniable that we belong to you. God, I pray you have no problem identifying those who are yours because our lamps are lit and we are living for you. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of salvation for those who believe. God, we believe in you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to live to serve you. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you rebuke that drowsiness away from your people. Rebuke that sleepiness away from your people, Lord. Rebuke that apathy, that lethargic faith, that nominal Christianity. God, I pray tonight, Lord, let there be a seriousness, a spiritual-minded people who love you, who want to serve you, who want to live to worship you, who want to live for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that our entire lives are burning for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. God, we want to be ready, Lord. God, whether you come back or you take us, Lord. Have your way, we pray. Let the power of your Holy Spirit rest upon us, Lord. And in the meantime, Lord, empower us to be your living testimonies. May we live lives that are holy and pleasing to you. That is our reasonable act of worship. Lord, we don't want to conform to the ways of the world. We want to be transformed. So renew our minds, God. We want to know your pleasure and your perfect and goodwill. And Father, I pray for more revelation of your Holy Spirit over your people, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, if you believe it, give them a shout of praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.